You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Oh yes, hello my friends and welcome to this, another edition of the Underdog Football Show. My name is Josh Norris. And look who it is. It's Hayden Winks. How you doing, buddy? I'm good. I feel refreshed. I had a good week out you in better feel Hawaii. Refreshed. And yeah, I'm ready to get back into hot best ball summer. Got that tan that I was looking for. Can't show that off here quite yet. But I'm just glad to be back. Hanging out with Aaron Rodgers down there. Heard he was in Hawaii last week as well. <laughs> uh, I did see that video. Actually, I ran into Hannibal Burris, the comedian. Yeah. Um, on the Eric Andre show. And he does like a bunch of the roasts and stuff. He's a really funny guy. Um we were in a grocery store and he was wearing his mask and I was like, I'm pretty sure that's Hannibal Burris. And like my fiance and I were like, um, eh, I'm not sure if that is. And then like we go to another aisle and then we don't even see him. We just hear his laugh and he has a very distinct laugh. And I was like, <laughs> yep, that's for sure Hannibal Burris. And then like he posted a video that he was there. So can confirm did r- run into him. Whoever made another comedian laugh. I mean, that that's like a, a tip in your cap. What happens to you like when you see celebrities? I always like get very um what's the right word tentative around them like i'm I'm not one who's like oh let's go take a selfie and that type of action yeah i, I i'm on team leave him alone yes uh, he let was, them be their own human yeah <laughs> i mean there would be some situations where i'd possibly go up for like a quick picture i'm not i'm not on team autograph i don't understand no. autographs and if, if i'm gonna either. if i'm gonna go up to somebody it's because i want to take a picture with them and yeah like in hannibal burst i think it was his girlfriend or fiance i don't know wife i don't know who but she was pregnant in the grocery store like that was like a for sure definitely not going to do that especially in in a pandemic so um if anything it would have to be the right situation maybe like at a golf course or something and i'd go go up and take a picture but outside that now nah. Yeah, back when we were allowed to, you know, shake hands, I would much rather do that and like tell them why I like them versus right. hey, let me uh, take a photo with you that or an autograph. Autographs are crazy to me, but that's that's another time. Um, by the way, all of you, yes, thank you for joining us here on on YouTube. We'll be here actually from here on out for eternity, twelve thirty Eastern every single day, Monday through Thursday. We want you to have lunch with us. We want to get on a consistent schedule. So whenever you think around noon, around 1230, oh, I want something to do, uh, join us here on YouTube Live. Um, Hayden, before we get into like the meat of the show, the big part of the show, when you talk about Julio Jones, what the hell is going on with Julio Jones right now? Well, this is one of the rare situations where the cap the cap space is real. And basically, they have a decision. The, the Falcons can keep Julio if they want to, but that means they would have to either restructure uh, Grady Jarrett's contract, for example, um, or maybe do something with Julio Jones contract. But if they do that, that means that they're going to be in the same cap situation as they are today next year. And this current regime doesn't really care. They just want to like refresh this picture. So 
by trading Julio Jones after June one, they they can split up his cap cost. They can unload his contract to another team, and then they can basically go into next off season with some more flexibility. And I think that's what this current regime wants. They don't want to completely tank out. They want to let Matt Ryan finish out his contract. But after next season and the year after that, they should have a completely refreshed start. So I do think that Julio Jones, the Julio Jones trade does make sense, even though they um, drafted a tight end instead of a quarterback early on. I think they want to do a soft rebuild. And like we said, right after the draft, they want to have some fun while they're doing this. And I think that yeah. the Falcons are a team that can have some fun while still rebuilding. They have to sign the rookie class. They're one of what two teams right now that just don't have enough money to sign. And they had nine draft picks this season, including obviously top five selection in cow pits that, that costs some money. One, it's going to be weird to see Julio Jones in a different Jersey. I know that they've had some alternate and some Jersey changes, but just on a different team, he's going as wide receiver 16, Right now, meanwhile, Calvin Ridley already was going way ahead of him as wide receiver eight. I don't know if we talked about that enough during this period of uncertainty since the draft with Julio Jones. This just makes me want to draft more of Calvin Ridley because he did it without Julio and he did it with Julio. And in terms of production, he's extremely stable. Um, We've talked a lot about Cal Pitts, but Calvin Ridley certainly makes sense as a locked in top 10, top eight. And you have him all the way up as wide receiver six right now, Hayden. I do. I think that you should be stacking the Falcons without Julio Jones. I, I think I tweeted I like this that. out last month. I think this was the, this was the easiest call. I think there was there's cap reasons why Julio Jones was likely to get moved. It's not fully set in stone, but um, it, lo- it looked like uh, Shannon Sharp really set up Julio Jones on that broadcast. I'm not even sure if Julio <laughs> knew about this, but like it, this it's was illegal, pretty obvious. Yeah, this was. I mean, I get mad when people put me on speakerphone and I don't know about, it, and they're just like in the car with their mom or something. Yeah. Being on live TV on the speakerphone—that's that's tough scenes. But I feel like the rest of the league already knew that he was on the table. Yeah, like he, he was. Sure. He was already leaving. Now you mentioned June first as being most likely around the period of calendar because of how contracts work that the move will make, take place. You know, they're getting it out there that they're asking for a first round pick, and with no feelers and with no bites right now. I bet it's second round pick is is what ultimately uh, what ultimately gets it done. How many teams out there? Because what it's going to cost about fifteen million dollars, and definitely will probably go immediately live when Hulu Jones does get traded and, and have the fallout for that. But what teams out there can can fit that? I've we've seen the Chargers and and the Patriots most likely as the two. It seems like. Yeah, those are my two. There's basically about 10 teams that can make his contract work. And then there's probably another five to 10 teams that can move some other players around to make it fit. But to me, the Patriots and then the Chargers specifically, they have the cap space. Julio Jones wants to go to a contender. We can argue how much of a contender the Patriots and Chargers are. But I think with Julio Jones, they are a playoff caliber team. Um, Right now, I I like the Chargers fit the most. They They need another outside receiver. Obviously, Mike Williams would be the deep threat. Keenan Allen and Julio Jones eat over the top. And we just watched Justin Herbert throw for like 5,000 yards. And that's what uh, would happen with Julio. So I'm with you. I think it'll probably come down to like a second round pick. Maybe there's some qualifiers like we saw with the Carson Wentz deal with playing yeah. time and how much it it gets dictated out from there. But um, I, the Browns are interesting. The 49ers are uh, is another interesting team. The Titans possibly. Um, but right now I'm leaning towards the Patriots and Chargers and then everyone else a little bit after them. It's a little sad to me, and we'll get into you know specific players in a second. It's a little sad to me though that like this offseason was geared around finding a head coach that has maximized the talents that he's had offensively. They've been extremely efficient, especially in the red zone. Offense is under Arthur Smith. And like if there's a kryptonite area 
for Julio Jones. It's always been that inside the 10-yard line, those end zone targets. And I, I just, like you opened, I, I would have loved to have seen how highly entertaining that this package of Matt Ryan and Julio Jones and Calvin Ridley and, and Kyle Pitts could have been. But because of previous regimes and how it's the end of the road met with them trying to keep their jobs most likely, you find yourself in this situation. Uh, I still think that Falcons offense is going to be extremely fun and one that we should you know, really try to get pieces of. Um, and I don't want to speculate too much in where Julio is going. I think what we already did that enough. But man, this is a player who was connected to the hip for so long with A.J. Green. I mean, back to like their high school days, was drafted after A.J. Green. And then I don't think he made like the NFL 100 team. And I lost my stuff on Twitter when that happened. Like you put receivers out there who played 1923 instead of Julio Jones, who's one of the freakiest freaks we've ever seen in the position. I mean, he's one of this generation's great players at that spot for sure. Yeah, and he hasn't even fallen off a cliff. I know he was injured last year, but when he was healthy, he was dominant. Like top five and all of the efficiency stats I look at, yards per route run, PPR points over expected. He was very involved when he was healthy, very productive when he was healthy. So I think that if I was a contender like the Chargers, for example, I would be willing to give up a second round pick easily. I know that he's you're dealing with older receivers and injured receivers, and that is risky. But Julio Jones, when he's healthy, is still a borderline top five player at the position. To me, you have to be willing to roll the dice when you're going all in. And the Chargers and the Patriots, they have cheap rookie contracts at quarterback. They have the cap cap space to make this done. I want one of those two teams to go all in. I lied. Let's speculate a little bit. Would it be worth the Chargers to then send Mike Williams back, who I think had his fifth-year option not picked up? It was declined, correct? I think he's he's playing on his fifth-year option this year. So that's still a ton of money. So like, it it doesn't necessarily benefit – the the Falcons to then get that in return because other indi- other actions I should say have indicated that the Chargers probably won't have Mike Williams unless he has a, a great roster. Yeah, I mean windows to win are real. You and I talk about all the time. It seems like more and more NFL teams are admitting that windows to win are real, and whoever goes and gets Julio at his age, but the talent that's also accompanied with it knows that hey, this is that one to two to three year all in period, and I'm all for that. I love that because the more these teams are honest with themselves that they can't create, you know, these long sustaining franchises um, that are just dominant. Only the Patriots can do that, really. And the Chiefs now with the situation that they're in. But I'm I'm excited to I mean, man, the NFL calendar this year is just lining up with a major move almost every other week and at least every other month. Um so it'll be fun. It'll be a fun thing to track. I wouldn't be surprised if it happens fairly quickly after that June first, that June first date, though. Um, yeah, and I, I've I've seen a lot of people say like, oh, why don't the Falcons like hold on to Julio and wait till the trade deadline? That's just like not how NFL operates. There's too right. many injuries, and it's not like basketball where you can just like trade for a player and like just insert him into the offense. I mean, we're trying we're dealing with playbooks and like schemes. It's it's a lot more tricky, and the Falcons don't want to play this game of. We'll trade him at the trade deadline because what if Julio gets hurt? Then you you lose that second round pick. So I think that if it's happening, it's going to happen like early June. All right. So we've talked about Calvin Ridley as the wide receiver eight. We've talked about Kyle Pitts now, the tight end four. I mean that ADP is rising, and it makes sense if this move is going to happen. But we haven't talked about a sleeper, a potential sleeper if Julio Jones does get moved, and his name is Russell Gage, and that leads us into the main part of today's conversations. These are the sleepers that we think outside of ADP of about 150, 
round 16 through 18, the final three rounds of your underdog drafts, that could make a difference for you. Before we get into maybe a specific name, Hayden, what are you looking for in, in a sleeper? Is it the guy that like maybe can get, I don't know, seven to eight points per week? Or is it one that you want a really high ceiling, but also maybe a non-existent for? To me, it is the latter. You basically have to envision how is this guy going to be a top 24 running back in a couple weeks of the season? How often is this wide receiver going to be a top 36 wide receiver in the season? And the first thing is you have to have realistic expectations. Uh, Jack Miller, who's going to be working at Establish the Run this offseason, he he had this talking about uh, the fallacy of, of sleepers. He says, over the last six seasons, 272 running backs had a best ball ADP outside the first 10 rounds. Only seven of them finish as an RB1 on a per-game basis, and only 4.8% of them finish as an RB2 or later. So basically, you're only hoping for a couple weeks. You're not going to get sustained success out of these guys, so just try to find a couple weeks where you can get some upside. For me, that means handcuffs, RB insurance guys at that position. And then for receivers, it's like the classic best ball receivers. You're looking for some spiked weeks, but have realistic expectations. If you can get three or four usable weeks out of these guys in the last couple rounds, you're winning. Let's go position by position. I think you and I have looked at the wide receiver spot as the one that, at least on paper, has the most talent. Someone from that running back group is going to emerge, and we'll get to maybe some nominees, uh, the quarterbacks and tight ends as well. But this wide receiver group has a lot of interesting pieces and players. Maybe we should start with Russell Gage. Let's do that. An ADP of 156. He played 762 snaps last season, including about 400-ish in the slot. He played a lot, and he's a player who should be among that depth chart that's going to be sticking there. There's no one else they really added. What are your your thoughts on Russell Gage this year? I guess my only concern would be that on paper, he would have the same area where he wins as Cal Pitts, but we also saw that happen last year with Hayden Hurst and so on and so forth, that there are no other outside options, and maybe they do force everything across the middle like Ryan Tannehill and the Tennessee Titans did last season. For the Falcons, their depth chart indicates, especially if they move on from Julio Jones, that they're going to be a 12 personnel team. This is what Arthur Smith ran with the Titans. Obviously the Falcons have Hayden Hurst and Kyle Pitts on the roster. So I'm expecting the Falcons to increase their 12 personnel usage, which, which would mean that it's just going to be Calvin Ridley and Russell Gage on the field for a lot of their passing situations. So that's good news for Russell Gage. I think that Russell Gage is a pretty limited player. I think he's probably a better slot receiver than an outside receiver. But when you're only dealing with like four uh, players on the field that are actually running a route, Russell Gage is going to get opportunities because we know the Falcons defense isn't going to be very good. And if the offense isn't quite as explosive with Julio Jones, there are going to be a lot of passing situations for Russell Gage to eat in. So if Julio Jones gets gets moved, Russell Gage's ADP is going to probably climb, what, three-ish rounds? So but uh, probably best to get ahead of that right now. Yeah, it, it could easily jump again from 156 all the way up to, like, I don't know, 120, 125. And right now at that ADP, Darnell Mooney's going. Marvin Jones is going. So even if you don't love the player and think he's someone that is limited in some areas, you're still ahead of the value right now of what it's going to be no matter what when the julio jones trade does happen because like you just said he's going to jump up about 30 spots all right maybe the best way to do this exercise hayden is we just go we bounce back and forth you want to nominate someone nominate someone 
So it's a pretty similar situation, and it's Jameson Crowder for me right now, whose ADP has really sunk, and I, I understand why. Obviously, Elijah Moore is the current replacement, but I think a lot of people are assuming that Jameson Crowder is going to get cut or traded. The Jets can save about $10 million in cap space if that happens. The Jets have a ton of cap space, but we have to remember cap space rolls over. The Jets are still incentivized to get rid of a player on that high of a paycheck if he's going to be a backup and everything this offseason suggests that Jameson Crowder would be a backup eventually. So if we're assuming that Jameson Crowder is getting moved, the Titans come to mind, the Vikings come to mind, the 49ers, Saints, Seahawks, Bears. These are some teams that can use a starting caliber receiver like Jameson Crowder. He's currently the wide receiver 70. His ADP is at 178 right now. How often do we have a 28-year-old receiver who's been productive for multiple seasons being priced this low, this is kind of crazy more. Over the last two seasons, Jameson Crowder is the wide receiver 37 in half PPR. If you're playing in a PPR format, he's even higher than that. So I think Jameson Crowder, if he gets moved, if, he, if it's to the Titans and he's the number two receiver, where is he going in drives? Probably be like a top 40, top 45 fantasy receiver. So I think that the market is over adjusted for Jameson Crowder right now. He either is playing well enough to keep Elijah Moore out of that slot area or he is playing well enough for another team that they want to trade for him. And so if you're trading for him, that means you have him in your starting lineup, or at least in your 11 personnel, three wide receiver sets. And at 177 overall in terms of his ADP, I, I agree with you. That's good. And he had some spiked weeks last year. It's, it's We forget about it, but you talk about spike week players, and typically that's not what the profile of a slot wide receiver is. It was Jamison Crowder last season. I the question mark and why he's dipped so far down. I mean, he's going after Elijah Moore and Denzel Mims and a few others that it's because the uncertainty, at least that uncertainty though, might be like the outside, just believing that Hayden, it might not even be what the jets think. They might truly believe that they want him on the roster this season. That's where I think he's being priced at is if he stays on the roster mm. and he's just kind of mixing in and out of the lineup, then he probably would be like the wide receiver 70 because they have Corey Davis, Elijah Moore, Denzel Mims. And the if you're looking at just at the 49ers offense last year, which is going to be pretty close to what the Jets are running this year, they didn't have that many wide receivers running routes. A lot of 12 personnel, they got a fullback involved. Um, so it's not going to be the same exact offense, but they're, they're, it would be a concern if Jameson Crowder is still on the Jets. But that's where he's being priced at currently. If he gets moved, I can only see a situation where his his ADP goes up. So I think right now would probably be a good time before June 1, before training camp, buy the dip on Jameson Crowder just in case he gets moved to the Titans. All right, continuing with our favorite sleepers or values of the 2021, I should say late May, late May right now, because I'm sure these are going to change. Because I think Amari Rogers' ADP is going to go up at some point this offseason. Right now he's going as the – 193rd overall player over on underdog. And what we always say, Hayden, I'll repeat myself once again, it's teams are honest with their draft picks and with free agency. The Green Bay Packers traded up to go get Amari Rodgers. And in fact, Brian Gutekunst said that he considered taking Amari Rodgers in round two. I know he fills the slot wide receiver role, and that might not be considered as, you know, a prime spot for ceiling wide receiver types. But last year, when you talk about slot wide receiver snaps on this team, you had Marquez Valdez-Scantling get 184, Alan Lazard getting 178, 
Darius Shepard getting 63, Equinemia St. Brown getting 62. There's an easy path to 300 and 400 slot wide receiver snaps for Amari Rodgers this year because outside of Devontae Adams, there's no consistent target on this team. Yes, MVS had weeks. Yes, Al Lazard had weeks. Yes, Robert Tunyon had weeks. But if you want some level of consistency, it wouldn't be shocking to me if Amari Rodgers emerges that at the second wide receiver spot on this Packers team during his rookie year. Scheme touches in the slot, in the backfield, jet sweeps, bubble screens, all that type of stuff. That is what uh, he brings that Alan Lazard doesn't. So I think that yes. the Packers, it's going to be Devontae Adams, Amari Rodgers in the slot, and then MVS on the outside as the vertical threat of the offense. MVS is not somebody that gets too many targets, and it's just going to be Amari Rodgers, I think is probably going to be the second leading receiver for the Packers. Um, obviously, Tunyon and uh aaron jones they they're involved but the the packers offense is so good that i think even um you get a couple spiked weeks out of amari rogers a long touchdown here there some red zone work he's a very stocky built receiver like i i keep comparing him to like uh round three debo samuels use the same way just not as, as explosive but those scheme touches they do matter and i think that if uh Devontae adams went down for whatever reason i mean amari rogers would get peppered with targets i think that he's a, a pretty good bargain right now and Matt LaFleur loves those scheme touches. I mean, he got some for like Tyler Irvin last year. They even brought in Tavon Austin at some point. Like he wants one of those players that has, you know, maybe not the height, but has that running back build who can win with the ball in his hands at or behind or near the line of scrimmage. And of those names, I mean, they even brought up Amari Rogers getting this. So he's someone that, and he's a coach's son. Like if he plays well during the preseason, which he should, then he can immediately fill that that slot spot that I, I think that they've been searching for that type all multiple years. I would say multiple years. Okay. I mean, it's it's because it's because Aaron Rodgers gets so frustrated at his at his receivers. Right. Uh, Amari Rodgers is going to be somebody that's going to be on the same page with Aaron Rodgers. He was like awesome at Clemson, sitting in zones. He's a very reliable four year player, like you said, coach's son. I think he is the perfect. A receiver that like your quarterback likes more than the scouts do just because uh, Aaron Rodgers can feel very comfortable with Amari Rodgers. So it just comes down to if Aaron Rodgers is going to stay or not. What do you feel about Paris Campbell? Paris Campbell at 159 ADP. I mean, Zach Pascal saw 410 slot snaps for this Indianapolis Colts team. Paris Campbell in like his one lone game of action had seven touches for 80 yards. I know that Carson Wentz, did not target that area of the field, at least to wide receivers, during his time with the Philadelphia Eagles, even with playing with Frank Reich. But it's so clear to me that, and I know he's getting older, I know he's had multiple injuries during his his NFL tenure so far, but Paris Campbell is explosive. He has skill set that no one else in that team has. Just the fit with the quarterback is probably the most worrisome reason and also why he's falling now to, what, round 15, round 60. Yeah, he's just a, the forgotten man just because of the injuries. And I, I share the same concerns with you. I don't think that Carson Wentz is the type of guy that's going to check down over the middle of the field. He wants to sit in the pocket and wait for something to develop. That's why it takes so many sacks. But like you said, T.Y. Hilton, vertical threat. Michael Pittman, kind of an intermediate vertical threat himself. I think that Paris Campbell is going to be the guy that does that. We just have to make sure that the Colts aren't going to go 12 personnel heavy. Um, I'm not fully expecting that to happen. I think that Paris Campbell is probably going to be on the field for most of the snaps. But he, he's he's going to have a couple spiked weeks just because he's so explosive. You can easily see how he can have a couple 40-yard touchdowns this year. This statement is based on nothing. But I, I think Paris Campbell would have had an 
amazing season last year if he stays healthy with Philip Rivers because we know Philip Rivers conversely loves to target that area of the field and he just didn't obviously he had a major injury sustained in that week to contest any other wide receivers you want to talk about here I had some some like guys that aren't even being drafted and this is a strategy that I think is a very profitable strategy you don't want to just like take the absolute values in like rounds 17 and 18 you should try to grab somebody that's not being drafted period because that's where in the last week of the season if that guy you drafted nobody else has him then you can get a spiked week and you're actually lapping the field because they're not even being drafted so here's a couple guys um jacoby myers josh palmer marquez calloway is the one and uh amir smith marcet are the two i really want to highlight marquez calloway i think there's a chance that he can just be better than traquan smith as the the number two receiver nobody really knows who he is because he didn't get that much playing time last year but I think that Traquan Smith has had plenty of opportunities to emerge, and he just hasn't. So I think that Marquez Callaway on the Saints is somebody to keep in mind. And then Amir Smith-Marset, I think that he has an inside job for the number three receiver for the Vikings. The Vikings obviously don't use too many uh, three-receiver sets, but if Adam Thielen, who's getting up in age, he gets injured or something, all of a sudden Amir Smith-Marset could be the number two receiver on a very good passing offense, and he's going drafted or being undrafted in a lot of leagues. So he's a rookie that I have in my eye on right now. We might get to the Saints' number two pass catcher a little later on in this conversation. Uh, quickly, you, everyone out there knows Terrace Marshall. I mean, 151 right now. He just makes this cut. Uh, everyone heard my spiel on him, but last year the Panthers had three, or excuse me, four 1,000-plus scrimmage yard players. And if he claims that and stays healthy in the preseason, watch out for Terrace Marshall. He also offers skill set that other people in that wide receiver group do not, including size. Um you mentioned Jacoby Myers. We had Phil Perry on when you were soaking on the beaches of Hawaii. And he was saying that he believes Jacoby Myers is going to be that second wide receiver opposite Nelson Aguilar. People made a big deal about Kendrick Bourne's contract, and it's really not that much at all. So if Myers continues to like play the best that was previously on the roster, that's absolutely in play. And then I also want to throw out two more names that were on that show prior to this one. Van Jefferson, who's going to be the third wide receiver with the LA Rams. Now he'll get spelled for certain roles with Deshaun Jackson and Tutu Atwell. But Van Jefferson, there's a lot to like there. And he might be that next player up if one of Cooper Cup or Robert Woods goes down. And then Adam Humphreys. I mean, J.P. Finley opened this door for us where he said that Scott Turner, Ron Rivera, want Curtis Samuel to be an outside receiver in Washington like he was under them in Carolina, 70%, 80% on the outside compared to 70, 80% in the slot like last season. That means his ADOT's going to be higher. Deami Brown is not playing the slot. So who is going to? And it's going to be Adam Humphreys if that usage actually comes into fruition. Adam Humphreys right now, 215 ADP underdog is absolutely one. That's a final round shot that almost no one else is taking right now. Yeah, and if you're stacking Ryan Fitzpatrick, which you and I have suggested to be doing, he's the guy that's like the perfect, it's either him or Diane Brown as your last round pick. Um, and yeah, no one's drafting him. So why not? Let's continue on with some of our favorite values, favorite sleepers that will help you win the later rounds of your draft. We start with wide receiver because that's where most of these names are going to come from. When you look back at your concluded drafts in December and January, maybe we reset and go all the way back up to quarterback. Anyone send out to you, Hayden? So this is tough because we've cut off people in the top 150 and there was a couple quarterbacks in like the 130, 140 range that are like sleepers to me, but they don't qualify. So I'm going to go with Sam Darnold. He's the QB 25. Um, Teddy Bridgewater was the quarterback 23. And I think that Sam Darnold, there's a chance that he's just better than 
Teddy Bridgewater. And this is just a bet against Adam Gase. We've seen all these players improve uh, in latter seasons after getting on from Gase. And we saw Teddy Bridgewater have career year himself under Joe Brady. Obviously, the supporting cast is awesome. So I think that Sam Darnold is not going to be a top 12 quarterback. I'm not banking on him to be a top 12 quarterback. But I do think that he can be a sleeper in if you've drafted a top eight fantasy quarterback and you're banking on them. I, I would view Sam Darnold as your QB two, and you don't have to draft a third quarterback. So that's my my view of Sam Darnold. I think he's going to have a decent floor like we saw with Teddy Bridgewater. He'll have a couple spike weeks to help you out. But I'm comfortable enough in Sam Darnold's situation where he can be my second quarterback, where I don't even have to invest in a third quarterback. And he's basically free right now. Uh, well, you cheated, which is understandable. That's okay. Uh, Sam Darnold is one that I was most likely going to nominate as well. Uh, he's a player that is exactly what you said. If he offers what Teddy did last year, then you're going to get some usable weeks. And at least with underdog, we don't have to pick which weeks those are. They just get placed out there for us no matter what. And I think this team, either based on Teddy's comments or self-evaluating, and who knows if it was based in fact or not, they're just going to do a better job of coaching in fourth down situations and in red zone situations. Um, so hopefully they improve in that area because that was a major, major struggle for them last season. Hopefully their offensive line improves as well. I'll throw out Jameis Winston. Jameis Winston, ADP of 187 overall. Lest we forget, in 2019, he was the quarterback five in fantasy points per game. 21 points per contest. I did some aggregating, as we used to do, uh, on comments on who might be the starting quarterback for the Saints this season. Albert Breer has noted that Sean Payton says it's going to be an open competition and that it might even be a week-to-week conversation based on like tweaks to highlight each guy's talents on a week-to-week basis. But then, you know, Ian Rappaport, Jameis Winston does have the leg up on Taysom Hill in the Saints quarterback competition. Uh, Nick Underhill, Taysom Hill has changed up his approach to training this offseason. This one stood out to me. He previously did some work to prepare for playing multiple positions. He is strictly training as a quarterback this offseason. I don't know, man. Like, if Jameis starts, he is going to absolutely crush that ADP of 187. The only reason why we can't firmly say he's going to smash it right now is because in every other scenario and opportunity where Sean Payton has had the ability to start one of these two, he started Taysom Hill. Yet, so many of the other reports outside around the team are saying that Jameis is going to be the star this year, and it's difficult for me to believe that because it's becoming like a boy who cried wolf situation at the moment. I just keep going back to, I just don't see Taysom Hill being good enough, just like period. Like his games last year were not good enough to me. I don't know how you can run a functional offense with him as your quarterback for like a long stint of the season. So maybe he has a couple red zone plays and that's probably how I would use him. Just trinkle him in occasionally like a fourth and short situation, but you have to let Jameis Winston go out there and give him a full season. So I'm going to be, I'm building my projections, assuming Jameis Winston is going to start most of the games. I think he's ultimately going to be the week one starter it just comes down to if Jameis Winston is going to throw three picks in a game, then Sean Payton's not going to be dealing with that at all. So there's a little bit of a risk, but this late into drafts, I think that he can be your quarterback three. Or if you've drafted Patrick Mahomes, you just want another guy. I think Jameis Winston could be a serviceable number two. Hmm. It's so tough. I mean, and also Jameis, he's not going to be throwing to Chris Godwin. He's not going to be throwing to Mike Evans. He's not going to be throwing to all those great pass catchers that you know we've seen him throw to in the past. He's not going to be allowed to throw 30 interceptions in a season as well and still put up these numbers. He's going to have to totally change his game. And I don't know if he can do that. But I'm, I'm excited to see the Saints just on a big picture level because it is an end of an era. 
You know, we, we've seen this more and more late recently because older quarterbacks who have been, you know, talents for those teams and staples for those teams for decades are now moving on. And the Saints will just be the next one. Like if, if they want to run a more traditional offense than Jameis Winston behind that offensive line can should absolutely do well. Um, and as soon as he's named the starter, man, he's another one who's going to jump up to like what? Quarterback 20 range rather than like quarterback 28 range. Fair? Yeah, I think that's fair. I think that's fair. And can't you just see like Jameis and Winston getting some like comeback player of the year buzz? Just, I mean, oh, I obviously Dak Prescott is like the clear favorite for right reasons. But I, I can see Jameis Winston tinkering. I mean, he was in a situation where the Bucks defense was really bad and he had those receivers and he was just really willing to let let the ball loose. I think Sean Payton probably got to him a little bit and then we're going to see a different Jameis Winston. I, I'm going to I want to be betting on Jameis Winston to a certain to a certain extent over Taysom Hill. I, I just can't see it with Taysom. Any other quarterbacks you want to talk about here? Um, I do have one. Um, I'm only going to say his name. Can I I have a challenge for you, by the way? Um, Before, since we were starting to record at 1230, now the sunlight is just directly over my head. I am going to ask you to have a two-minute monologue here while I take down my camera, go find an umbrella to put over my head, and then we will continue. Cool? So can you just do this monologue by yourself for the next minute or two minutes? I can, but this is my worst take that I was trying to get within 30 <laughs> seconds. So this will be this will be a challenge, but go for it. Okay. Three, well, here's why two, one. you should be drafting Jimmy Garoppolo. Uh, Jimmy Garoppolo, I would only draft him in these huge underdog tournaments. He is going undrafted in a lot of these leagues. And Jimmy Garoppolo, there's a chance. Obviously, we love Trey Lance, but if Trey Lance got injured or if Trey Lance just, just wasn't ready as a 21-year-old guy from the, the FCS, Jimmy Garoppolo, we've seen him have – top 12 weeks plenty even like two years ago he was the quarterback 14 and that was without brandon Ayuk. that was without trent williams so if you're getting a quarterback that has like top 15 season long upside and he's going undrafted in 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 these drafts i think that he's worth stacking especially if trey lance is going to be dra- being drafted in the top 15 quarterbacks and jimmy G- jimmy g who has a chance to start multiple games uh, due to injury or just being better or just Trey Lance not being ready. I'm not expecting any of, the, any of those things to happen, but Jimmy G is going undrafted, and there's a chance that he can be a top 15 quarterback for a length of the season, especially because we believe the 49ers offense and team in general is going to be good. What if Jimmy G starts their 4-1? and one? Then it's going to be pretty tough to bench him. So I think that Jimmy G at least has some consideration in these large field GPPs. I'm so glad I missed this take. <laughs> I'm so glad I did. How about another rookie, though, Mac Jones? He was the other one, too. 214. Uh, Look, we had, again, Phil Perry on the show before this one. And he mentioned if there was like a a like-for-like comparison for this offense in 2021, it would be last year's Cleveland Browns in terms of multiple tight end sets. It's going to be even more at the Patriots this year. Uh, Great blocking for the running game and then play action passing off of that. And now that might limit the ceiling, especially – you know, if Cam stays healthy and plays well, obviously Cam's going to get the best shot. But he and I both believe it's in the realm of possibility that Mac Jones just looks supremely better than Cam Newton in the preseason to the point of everyone on the outside seeing it and then constantly asking questions to this Patriots organization. And like when it gets to that point, Hayden, if it's like that drastic of a difference, you can't just sit the guy, right? Like you, you, you have to play the, the player that is better in 
helping you win football games. And again, maybe I'm just, you know, too high on some of these rookie quarterbacks this year, but I think that's absolutely feasible coming from someone who absolutely adores Cam Newton. Belichick isn't going to be playing Cam Newton because Cam Newton's the veteran. If Mac Jones is better, Mac Jones is going to play. And who knows if what Cam Newton's shoulders feeling like a couple years later after his surgeries, but Mac Jones could sling the ball around. I think that he would do very well within this scheme. It wasn't the exact same scheme that he had at Alabama. It's going to be less RPOs, more traditional check down passing, which is something that Mac Jones didn't do too often in Alabama. But I think I can, I'm willing to extrapolate that he was so good at those RPOs and in structure stuff at Alabama that I think he can do that with the Patriots as well. So he's basically free. Cam Newton's free. Jimmy G's free. Taysom Hill's free. Jameis Winston's free. All yep. these quarterback situations. It's okay to pick one because if, if you end up losing, if like Mac, if you drafted Mac Jones in these huge fields and he doesn't end up playing, guess what? Like 88% of people, you didn't win any money. Just take a chance on these guys. Some of these guys have a little bit of upside here. And once again, I'm going to share my galaxy brain theory that I'm not responsible for in the future, that Cam Newton will not be in this roster in week one, and instead they're going to trade for Jimmy Garoppolo, and it's going to be Jimmy G and Mac Jones as the two quarterbacks for the New England Patriots this season. Like you, I'm not responsible for my Jimmy G monologue that you forced me into. All right. Running backs, it's so tough, especially this year. It felt even more difficult. Why don't I – I'll go first. I'll go first with Gio Bernard at 209. Um, we know that the Tampa Bay Buccaneers last season felt like the entire regular season were just forcing both of those backs to like try to catch passes. And absolutely no one could do that. And we know how pivotal it is for Tom Brady to have that. And in some ways, he basically dictates who's playing behind him in that running back spot. Well, Leonard Fournette and Ronald Jones combined for 89 targets last season. And Gio, even if he only played 12 games in a season – had no fewer than 43 targets in an NFL season and 30 receptions in a single year. So he instantly becomes the best passing down back on that roster. And if they go quick game, if they want to go hurry up, I wouldn't be surprised if Gio immediately, despite, you know, Leonard Fournette showing well in the playoffs, despite Ronald Jones having some peak performances last season, if Gio is that trusted player in those situations. I'll have to go back, but I remember writing late in the season that the Bucks' neutral pass rates, like after Antonio Brown got involved, were among the league's best. And that would be playing into your theory that Giovanni Bernard is going to see a lot more snaps than people are projecting. I'm with you just because <clears throat> he offers the exact opposite profile as the other two backs. Yes. I think that he is definitely going to be the third down back. They gave him money for a reason. He wanted to go to the Bucks. For a reason, I, I can see Tom Brady falling in love with Giov- Giovanni Bernard. So especially in PPR formats, I think that he belongs on the radar. Obviously, his ceiling's capped to a certain extent, but we're only looking for a couple of weeks. If you can get, if he catches five passes and scores a touchdown a couple of times this year, then all of a sudden you have a top 24 week in the last round or two of these drafts. You've already came out with a, a little bit of a profit. Any other running backs that can help people out there win the late rounds of their league? Yes, Darrington Evans. I thought he was a good prospect coming out early, declare, young, productive, could win in all phases. Also is one of the the non-power five guys to actually have some athleticism. He did nothing because of a hamstring injury. He had a, a week one hamstring injury. He went on the IR, didn't come back till late in the season. But once he did, the other running backs were healthy scratches. And it was very clear that Darrington Evans was the number two back. So there's, there's a possibility that Darrington Evans just plays a little bit more this year just because the Titans have all these available targets and Darrington Evans is a better receiving back than Derrick Henry is. Obviously, we're just 
I mean, basically, if you're drafting Darrington Evans, you're just kind of waiting for a Derrick Henry injury to happen. And I mean, Derrick Henry's had 321 and 397 touches last two seasons. And Darrington Evans' only competition right now is Jeremy Jeremy McNichols yeah. and Brian Hill. And the regime did not bring those guys in to compete with Darrington Evans. Darrington Evans was a third round pick. If something happened to Derrick Henry, you're going to have all these available targets from this offseason, plus all of those touches from Derrick Henry. It would be very hard for Darrington Evans not to be in like RB2 minutes. That backfield got so weird last year at points. Like, again, McNichols played, who he came out of nowhere. Didn't like Deontay Foreman play some snaps yes. too? Yes. Like, it got so random in certain spots that it was a blast from the past from previous draft classes. I mean, if something happens to Derrick Henry, who knows how successful that team is going to be, but someone's going to get those touches. And if anyone has the most invested in them, like you're saying, it, uh, it is Darrington Evans. I'm going to throw it Salvin Ahmed or Malcolm Brown. Both have the same ADP of 212. I know that Hayden Winks, tape detective, checked in on Miles Gaskin. You can check that out on, on Underblog. And we think Miles Gaskin can be like a productive player, but more so than anything, it's like in the receiving game and more so than anything, it's it's an opportunity, right? Um, what if he either does not perform or one of these guys just performs better? Because when I watched Salvin Ahmed, I kind of saw a similar runner with the ball in his hands. I mean, he averaged 11 fantasy points per game in six contests. Three of those contests, he saw single-digit targets and touches. So we've seen Malcolm Brown, you know, start seasons as the lead ball carrier on his team as well. And they brought him in hopefully for a reason and just more people in that backfield. I don't think, I guess my biggest point overall is I don't think the Dolphins backfield is as clear cut as people are drafting it to be right now. Yes. I think miles Gaskin is a third down player. He's a change of pace player. I didn't think that he's physical enough to run between the tackles. He's very shifty and he has good vision. So I understand why the Dolphins just wrote him out last year, but he's a smaller back. I'm not sure if he can hang, handle a big workload this year. So I wouldn't be surprised if Malcolm Brown is the early down back. Some of their press conferences after, after the the draft suggested that Malcolm Brown could be like their goal line back, their early down back, just because he's so much bigger than, than miles Gaston. But I'm with you. I, I don't think that this dolphins backfield is settled at all. If anything happened to like Melvin Gordon, for instance, the dolphins can be in play. So yeah. I'm a little bit lower than the market on miles Gaskin. And I'll even throw out another name in the backfield, Jared Dokes, who's a huge power runner, um, who was drafted this year, and he has the same amount of draft capital basically as Miles Gaskin does. So he's going completely undrafted. I think that taking a, a little bit of a dice roll as your RB four in the last round in this Dolphins backfield, I think it is a wide open backfield, not one that's set in stone yet. Yeah, and again, it's being drafted as Miles Gaskin as the running back twenty two on underdog right now, and Salvin Ahmed, Malcolm Brown, other names you're mentioning are sixty two at running back and, and later on. So, what do you think about Chuba Hubbard? At 181, uh, we saw Mike Davis turn into an absolute animal in that offense last year when he was forced to be the running back one in that offense. And that's going to be Chuba Hubbard as long as he stays healthy and performs admirably in preseason action. My same spiel with Darrington Evans and regarding Derrick Henry, you can do the same thing with Chuba Hubbard and uh, Christian McCaffrey. And I, I, I do, I've seen this a, a couple of times um, talking about Chuba Hubbard that he doesn't have this th- third down profile but i want to bet against that just because oklahoma state they don't check the end of their their running backs ever because that's just not the type of offense they run there's nothing about uh my tape evaluation that chuba hubbard can't be a third down back like we saw with mike davis 
Uh, he's smaller than Mike Davis. I'm pretty sure he has the, just as reliable hands as Mike Davis. So I do think that if if Christian McCaffrey missed time, and he's one of these guys that just gets all of these touches, he's more likely to miss a couple of games because he's seeing 25 touches every game. I think that Chuba Hubbard can be a thir- third down or uh, a three down player because he does have a third down profile. He just didn't show it that much in college. Going as running back 52, we're more okay with drafting running back insurance in best ball than we are in season long because the reason why we don't like doing it in season long is because they just like waste away on your bench where you can go and pick up players and waivers and like by the time week six rolls around and you've like held on to this person you need to let go of them because there are more actionable players out there on the waiver wire for us when there are 18 rounds without kickers and defense on underdog best ball having someone that might emerge as a great player if the opportunity presents itself later on for an entire season, it works out. It works out much better in best ball formats than it does in season long. I just think it's easier to find a top 12 week or a couple top 12 weeks at the position from a pure insurance back rather than a committee back. I mean, for those committee backs, you're banking on a very long touchdown run or like to get for game script to go absolutely berserk. Like it was uh, happening with JD McKissick, for example. So I think someone like Devonte Booker, who can be the backup for Saquon Barkley, Larry Roundtree, who could be the backup for uh, Austin Eckler. I mean, these are the type of guys that are going completely undrafted. I, I would rather wait. And I mean, my whole running back philosophy is draft too early forget it, hope that they stay healthy, and then draft insurance types who can potentially be your flexes in these best ball tournaments. So I'm on team insurance over the committee backs. Everyone on Pennsylvania, in Pennsylvania, we are now open in Pennsylvania, finally. And we want everyone out there to know that like, if you skip the guacamole, you just don't order it, and you just deposit that straight into underdog, all new users get 25 free bucks. There it is. Go and try out Best ball drafts, pick them, whatever you want. 25 free bucks if you're a new user and you deposit anything on Underdog. The app is tremendous. And if you're near your computer like we are all day, desktop's great as well. All right, so we've done wide receiver, quarterback, running back. Now on to tight ends. Should we cheat? Can we cheat? We start off with Adam Troutman. Yeah, Adam Troutman at 148. I mean, that's just under that mark at 150. But I bring him up, and and I, I feel like we can say this. Because there's a chance that Adam Troutman finishes as a top tight end this year. And in fact, I'll go a step further. Use some hyperbole here. It's in the realm of possibility that it goes Michael Thomas receiving yards, Alvin Kamara receiving yards, and then Adam Troutman receiving yards on this team in 2021. A three-down player. He profiled like that coming out of college. He was extremely productive at his small school. He was, I believe, PFF's number one run-blocking tight end as a rookie last year. That is tough to do. He's athletic enough, and there are available targets for the taking just because the rest of the offense is really weak when it comes to depth. That's just kind of the story of the Saints this year, just in general, because of their cap situation. They go one deep. Their starting lineup is very good, playoff caliber. But when injuries start to come for the Saints, they're a team that could start tanking a little bit. I think Troutman's good enough to emerge in his second season. They got rid of Jared Cook for a reason. I think that Travis is going to be an every down player with, and I'm with you. He, he easily could be third in targets for this team. Yeah. They traded a fourth, fifth, sixth and seventh rounder to get him in the 2020 NFL draft. He was one of those players who wasn't for the present. He was for a year later because they knew that they were going to move on from Jared cook. And now is his time uh, again. I mean, he is going so late at 148 overall 
that makes him, let me find it here really quickly, the tight end 22. The tight end 22. And look, we fell into this trap last year of saying, oh, just wait at tight end. And you can find your favorite guy at tight end 13 or tight end 17 and so on and so forth. I'm kind of hedging on that a little more this year than I was previous years. But maybe among all of those names, I am most excited for the opportunity that is there for Adam Troutman to take advantage of. Any other players at the spot, Hayden, that you're interested in? Yeah, Hunter Henry is going very late, yes. which was su- surprising to me. I mean, Belichick gave Hunter Henry the second most guaranteed money at the position, period. Like, yeah. he's going to be involved. I think they're going to be in 12 personnel often. And I'll take it a step further. I think he's going to play more snaps than Johnny Smith because he's a much better blocker. He's more physical. I think he's going to be in that Gronk role, which means when they're uh, staying in 11 personnel, I can see that Hunter Henry staying on the field over Johnny Smith, even though the money suggests otherwise. I think he can be the best red, red zone threat on the team. And if Mac Jones is starting, that's good news for Hunter Henry. If Cam Newton somehow holds on to the job, that means that he's healthy and playing well. So yeah. I think that they're, they're going to get some at least serviceable quarterback play, something that they didn't have last season. And I think that they paid Hunter Henry a boatload of money. And he's going as the tight end 17, I believe, right now. And over the last two seasons, he's a tight end six. And we know Hunter Henry is good at the game. And that's very hard to do, just trying to find out who's even good at the position. We know Hunter Henry's good. And if anything happened to Johnny Smith, I mean, Hunter Henry could be a top 12 fantasy, fantasy tight end very easily. Before we close up this conversation, I do want to bring up Dawson Knox at 211. Uh, Dawson Knox is going to play a boatload of snaps. He missed some time last year. I mean, all their tight ends missed a lot of time last year. Played in just 12 games, only started seven, but 44 targets, 24 receptions, three touchdowns, 288 yards. He's someone who barely got any action in terms of volume in college. He is extremely athletic. We know that Brian Dayball wants to use a ton of three wide receiver sets. Some four wide receiver sets. But if we always think about the trajectory of careers at the tight end position, Dawson Knox might be that next one that like takes that year three or year four step up. I, I mean, I'd be shocked if, if he doesn't play the most snaps at that spot. And just his athletic upside is one that I think we're forgetting here. Despite like all the names going like Hayden Hurst is going ahead of him. Donald Parham is going ahead of him. Dalton Schultz is going right after him. Darren Arnold, who's not going to play. Dawson Knox is going as tight end 32. Like, if you have found yourself with just one tight end and you get to, I don't know, round 17 or 18 on underdog and you just need someone that you think for upside because you drafted a Travis Kelsey or George Kittle or Darren Waller really early, I kind of like this Dawson Knox. Yeah, he's just not going to run that many routes compared to the other guys um, just because the Bills use four receiver sets. But I'm with you. He's one of those guys that at least is attached to a good offense. He can score six, seven touchdowns randomly this year. That's a total possibility. Um, some some deep sleepers I have at tight end. Jared Cook is going at one sixty eighth. I think that there's a chance that he can just be the red zone guy. Um, obviously, betting on old tight ends is not something we like to do, especially when they get injured, like like he's been the last couple seasons. But at least he's uh, a proven commodity in a good offense. Cole Komet is somebody like Dawson Knox, where he can kind of take uh, another leap earlier in his career. Um, they just need to get rid of Jimmy Jimmy Graham. I don't know why he's still on the roster. And then the last name to me is Hayden Hurst. If Julio Jones does get moved, I think it's going to be a 12 personnel team. 
Hayden Hurst, if something happened to Kyle Pitts or Calvin Ridley, all of a sudden he's in, he's attached to a good quarterback that we know they're going to pass a lot. And I think Hayden Hurst is at least okay as a talent himself. And he's going undrafted in a lot of leagues. Before we get out of here, let's answer some of the questions that people left. Again, we are live on YouTube right now, every Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday at 1230. Could Cal Pitts lose his talent eligibility if they trade Julio and move him outside full time? Uh, not an underdog. He's, he's not having that right now. I wouldn't say he loses eligibility, and maybe you can correct me here, Hayden, on other platforms. He might just gain it at another spot. Yeah, I, I, no one's moving him to wide receiver no. in fantasy. It would be, yeah, the, that, I mean, that's just not going to happen. He's going to play in line. He, I mean, he was like a 65% in line tight end last year. He's, I mean, he's a good enough blocker. Like the Falcons will be using him attached to, to the, the line of scrimmage like plenty this year. From Permar, Des Fitzpatrick fits as the tight end two right now. Excuse me, wide receiver two on Tennessee right now. I feel like I heard nothing about Des Fitzpatrick prior to the draft. And now that he landed with the Tennessee Titans, everyone is trying to find that next option outside of A.J. Brown and Anthony Ferkser in that passing offense. The answer might just be no one, Hayden. I would only draft as Fitzpatrick if I had a Ryan Tannehill stack. I think it's more likely that the Titans find somebody like Jameson Crowder. He makes so much sense for the Titans as the number two. I, I didn't see too much from Des Fitzpatrick on tape, and then his analytical profile wasn't very good either. From here on out, we'll probably answer some of these questions as we close out these shows. So again, if you want to join us at 1230 on YouTube every single Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, go ahead and do that. Um, we'll be back tomorrow. Right, Hayden? Same time, same place. My brain will be in a better place. I'll figure out this lighting situation above my head so it's not just like this ray of light on my forehead so everyone out there can see that. Um, again, if you want to help us spread the word, that helps us a ton. Just tell one friend about the Underdog Football Show. And again, if you are a new user, you have never tried Underdog. Now is the time to do it. This is the best promotion we run. $25 free if you deposit anything. App is slick, go win $1 million on Best Ball Mania 2. Now's the time for that hot, hot Best Ball summer, the summer of underdog. Hayden Winks, thanks so much, buddy. Talk to you tomorrow. Everyone out there, up the villa. Oh, it felt so good yesterday. Talk to you all soon. See ya.